And uh, I set up a little living room here because I want to introduce a guest to you uh, just at the front part of the message. We're going to take a couple of minutes to introduce Jim Eaton, who is right here. Jim, why don't you come on up and join me in the uh, living room. Jim is from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania, and um, he is getting ready to step out in a new adventure. I've gotten to know this guy a little bit from uh, my experience with College of Prayer, which is an international uh, prayer ministry, and uh, Jim is also involved in that, and I've uh, been doing some really great things uh, there and uh, Jim has been serving in pastoral ministry, but is in, is getting ready to actually go to the mission field to do church planting in Spain. And so we wanted to take a little missions moment today. I'm going to pull up my little lazy boy here. We'll hang out in the living room. We got fresh cut flowers just for you. Oh, you. Yeah, yeah, and nothing to serve you to drink or eat in this living room. That's not how we do it. So uh, let's give a little state college welcome to Jim Eaton. First of all, I'm glad that he's here. Uh, Jim, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, some of this upcoming adventure that you're going to be heading out on and what God has in store for you? Yeah, so my, my wife is not here this morning, but um, Luann loves coming to, to Penn State uh, on frequent occasions. Sometimes spontaneously we'll, we'll hop into the car and do a three-hour trip just to go to the creamery. But, but beside, besides that, um, Luann and I would consider ourselves a Great Commission couple. And, and since we met in 2001, we've been doing our part in making disciples uh, of the nations. We were uh, church planting in the International Corridor of Atlanta. We pastored in the established uh, church over in Western Pennsylvania in, in Aliquippa. And we've even had the opportunity through the College of Prayer uh, to travel and serve uh, leaders and, and pastors in, in other countries, helping to um, uh, train and, uh, so that they can build healthy uh, prayer environments around the world. And now, uh, in faith through prayer, we're, we're discerning a, a call to Spain, which, interestingly enough, mm. is, is um, the, the least evangelized Spanish-speaking country uh, wow. in, in the world. Um, the... The ministry uh, that we'll be serving there is called the Life and Family Network. It's a church planting network that is um, planting uh, in Spain and, and throughout Europe. And just a, an interesting note on uh, this ministry, it was launched in the early 2000s by a, a Peruvian couple. And when they arrived in Spain, which is, is notoriously often identified as a, a missionary graveyard, they were told by some uh, maybe questionably uh, believing people on the ground there to turn around and go home mm. because no Spaniard would listen to the gospel from South Americans. Mm. And so their, their ministry has been uh, a little challenging. They've had some, some uh, hardships, but the, the fruit of that sacrifice over 20 years is a, a thriving 15-church network that is in Spain, Italy, and England, and, and growing along the, the Mediterranean coast. And we'll be serving that, awesome. that movement in three ways. Uh, one, uh, through pastoring a, a local church congregation made up of uh, British uh, expats, so in English speakers. Uh, then we'll, we'll be um, working with the College of Prayer uh, to build healthy environments of prayer in various nations of Europe. And the third piece, and one that I'm quite excited about, is um, that the network has a, a ministry of discipleship for the next generation. And that this has become a, a bit of a leadership pipeline. 
and um, we'll be investing in leaders from that ministry, um, mentoring them. Yeah. I love the, the faith. Uh, you're taking a step of faith. This is a new venture for you. Um, any any uh, obstacles to overcome? What's been the biggest challenges that you've run into? Yeah, so it took us some time to discern whether God was leading us in this direction, about a year and a half. And literally, within a week of making a, a commitment to take on this assignment... I had a phone call from a pastor friend in Manhattan inviting me to accept my, my dream job, uh, leading the prayer ministry of, of his church there in, in Manhattan. And he said, and um, just so you know, I'd, I'd like to offer you a New York City salary. <laughs> and when he told me what that was, I thought, really, Lord? Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's more money than I've ever seen in ministry, and now the alternative is uh, visiting around churches and, and raising uh, missionary support. So I would say that has probably been yeah. my most significant challenge. A little step of faith, yeah. <laughs> uh, just practically, uh, when do you go? How long are you gone? What's the, what's the plan? What's the game plan? Yeah, um, well, you know, January of 2023 is our target date, contingent on, you know, having everything that we need to go. And at, at 50, um, my, my thought is if we're not at least willing to put in 10 years, it's, it's not worth mm -hmm. the effort. So in faith, we're, we're saying 10 years, and you know, we're, we're open to how uh, circumstances may develop and the Lord may lead, but that, that's the picture we have right now. That's awesome. So how does a church like ours, how can we pray for you? How can we help? Uh, mm -hmm. what's, what's the role that we can play in this sending? Yeah. Uh, as you pray for us, um, Right now, one of the significant issues we have is uh, our getting our visas. Uh, that has to go through the Spanish government. It has to go through the Spanish consulate in New York City. A lot, a lot of paperwork to, to be uh, done before we, we go. So that, that's a, a significant point of prayer. And um, we're, we're Alliance missionaries, and, and you're an Alliance church, and you know that kind of the way we uh, work together uh, in, in our endeavors is, is we develop partnerships. And so um, pr pray for us as we develop partnerships that are our prayer partnerships, financial partnerships, and, and sending partnerships where we you know, partner with local churches to, to invite them on mission trips to see what we're doing. Yeah, that's awesome. So what we're going to do is I, I would like us just to pray uh, for Jim and for your family, uh, just as a church. Uh, we're going to do that real quick as a, as a sending. And um, why don't we stand up and do that? And uh, those that want to, we're going to take away the living room. Uh, by the way, I noticed this table was wobbly after the first service. I fixed it, and I think I made it worse. <laughs> um, so I noticed it was wobbling even worse. So anyway, we're going to do that. But here's what I'd like to do, Jim. Why don't you join me over here? And church, if you would like to just extend a hand of blessing, and uh, we're just going to pray over uh, Jim. Hey, Amy, can you come up and pray with me too? Um, we, we're bringing in the heavyweights. That's the wrong word, isn't it? When, <laughs> when inviting your wife, that's not the way to do it? Yeah. They knew what I meant, Jim. Come on. I, I they, knew totally. they, yeah, yeah, they knew, they knew what I meant. Yeah, uh, let's pray over Jim. Father, we are grateful for steps of faith, and um, it, is a, it is a joy for us to be able to see what you are doing. God, all around the world, you are moving. You are breaking down strongholds of the enemy. Uh, you are breathing new life.
And God, the fact that we are part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, even as we, many of us, are giving to things like the Great Commission Fund, we're already supporting this kind of stuff. Lord, I pray that would increase. Lord, I pray that there would be even a greater uh, measure of your favor. And we pray over Jim and we pray over his family that you would open up every door that you desire to open. We pray, Father, that the uh, the plans with the visas would, would go through, the logistical pieces, the moving pieces, even expenses that will come, uh, even the things that they don't yet know about. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would meet every need. Uh, we pray that you would give a strong sense of your peace and your leading. Uh, we're not asking for you to make it easy for them, uh, but we're asking, Father, that you would be with them through every trial. And we know, God, that you will do that. Uh, and we are thankful for the privilege of just as a, as a brother in Christ to come around as a church and say, Lord, would you open up the floodgates of blessing over Jim, his family as well. And I pray that there would be great fruit. Lord, we pray that it would be uh, multiplication. We pray there would be next generation investment. We pray that there would be houses of prayer uh, that spring up. And Lord, I think about Joshua and, and the, the, the command or the, the encouragement, Lord, that everywhere that he puts his feet, Lord, that you would say, I've already given you this ground. This is place that is already kingdom work uh, being done. So, Lord, we ask that you would do that. Uh, you're a big God. Uh, we love you, and we're grateful for the, the privilege of just getting to celebrate uh, with this brother in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you. Jim, thanks, man, for what you're doing. I love the steps of faith. We're excited to see what God's going to do. As he sits, I'm going to just tell uh, a little encouragement to you guys, and that is many of you are already giving to the Great Commission Fund. Some of you are saying, I don't even know what that is. Great Commission Fund is how we support missionaries through our denomination all around the world. If you've never given to the Great Commission Fund, let me encourage you, be between now and the end of the year, be a first-time giver, and uh, you'll be supporting people like this and, and hundreds of other missionaries all around the world. We want to encourage you to do that Tonight, uh, for our Living Waters prayer service, I asked Jim if he would join us, and he's actually going to be doing a little teaching. It'll be interactive, so we'll be doing some prayer time, but tonight, specifically on hearing the voice of God, and uh, I suspect that you've been living this out, you know, because you don't uproot and move to a different country without really listening for the voice of God, and so Jim's going to be sharing a little bit tonight. I want to encourage you to be here. I don't know anybody, uh, no matter how old in the faith or how long they've been walking with Jesus, who says, I'm pretty much good in that area. All of us want to hear the voice of God better, uh, and so Jim's going to be sharing a couple important things. So come on out tonight, 615, right in this room. You won't be lost, and we spend a little over an hour uh, with some worship, a little bit of teaching and we're praying. I mean, that's really, we keep it very simple and uh, you'll be blessed. If you've never been to a living water service, come on out tonight for that. Jim will be joining us. Okay, end of commercial. Uh, here's what I'd like to do. Um, we, we've read a lot of scriptures already today. I want to just ask you to focus in on one more. I'm not going to be preaching from Psalm 103. I'm going to be preaching from Genesis chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Genesis 6. But I want you just to hear uh, Psalm 103, and maybe just allow this kind of soak in your own spirit here uh, this morning. So just receive this. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Somebody say amen to that. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth... So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
So two weeks ago, we began a new series on the book of Genesis, and I began with a statement that much of your life comes down to this idea of making order out of chaos. Has anybody been thinking in those frames as you've done life and work and family and things over these last couple weeks? I continue to see it almost everywhere that I look. This is much of what we do at work. This is much of what we do at home. This is much of what we do in life. And, and we suggested to you in that first message that it is part of your being made in the image of God who spoke order out of chaos that you, in fact, go about your life doing things, making order out of chaos to the best of your ability. And I would maybe suggest to different levels of success and at different times. Today, I'd like to begin with another statement. So if we can agree that much of life is making order out of chaos... I want to make a statement today that much of life is outside of your control. And maybe we got to hold those two things in tension just a little bit, but I think it's true. And I think most of us can think about situations when we have noted that I'm not in control right here. Maybe it was one specific instance, maybe it was a series or a season that you've gone through, but much of life is not in our control. I was thinking about the example of going to visit Amy. I think I shared this story once before, driving up an icy driveway at her parents' house uh, in a car that had not very good tires. And I got almost to the top of the first hill, and I noticed that though my speedometer said I was going 25 or 30 miles an hour, the outside, nothing was moving. You know, I was kind of coming to a standstill. And as I got to the very top of that icy hill, still saying my wheels were moving 35 miles an hour, I not only stopped, but started to slide backwards and now I'm in a sort of dark night bad conditions sliding tobogganing rather down their hill in my car and I felt very much out of control and I wound my way to the bottom of that thing at light speed and made a circular uh, impromptu spin out and I came to a stop and I shut off the car and I walked up the rest of the way I was not going to try that again because I don't like that feeling of being out of control. There are many moments in life when we realize that we are not in control of our situation. We are not in control of our circumstances. You can ask anyone, even here in this room, who is dealing with an unforeseen health challenge, a financial curveball, relational friction, or is simply taking a new step of faith. And they'll probably tell you there's going to be seasons, there's moments that, yeah, life doesn't feel like I'm in control. If you can marinate on that thought or hold that intention for just a moment, we said in our first week of this series that the world, our Creator God, spoke things into order. Last week, Pastor Chad talked about the fall and the breaking into chaos of that which had been ordered by God. And today I want to simply say that it would be nice to think that the fall was a one-and-done kind of event. But the effects of the fall continue to this day. In fact, think about this for a minute. You've never lived in a world that wasn't saturated with fallenness. Like Your mind can't even get itself around what it would look like to be in a world that wasn't fallen. And your parents before you and their parents before them, it's the same thing going all the way back to the time of Noah in Genesis 6, going all the way back to the time of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3. In fact, the world became so full of evil that by the days of Noah in Genesis 6, 
The ancient text reads this way. I'm going to read to you a passage from Genesis 6 and a passage from Genesis 9. Incidentally, if you're saying, but wait, we didn't preach through Genesis 4 or Genesis 5. That's because we're going to go through some highlights of the book. We're going to do it in seven weeks. I do appreciate that many of you are picking up those uh, bookmarks to actually read through the whole book of Genesis. And I suspect that there's probably, uh, there has been for me, good conversations happening and dialogue happening about pieces that we're preaching on as well as pieces that we're not preaching on. Uh, I did say to the first service, I think, I think that some of you are taking two uh, bookmarks, because, or three, uh, because uh, we're, we keep running out of them. But I think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, so keep reading along with us as we go through. And if you're just getting caught up, get caught up this week, and uh, we're not that far along just yet. But let me read to you the, the description in Genesis chapter 6. And I'm going to preach through this a little bit in what is admittedly a very difficult passage I mean, you gotta, you got to do some stretching and frankly, hold some things in tension of the not knowing or the not knowing fully. And I think about what, what Paul said, you know, that we see through a glass darkly and I think there's many times as we study God's word and as we understand the character of God that we look and we say we, we see through a glass darkly we don't know fully, but the promise is that one day we will know fully even as we are fully known. So we've got to wrestle with this passage here a little bit today. Here's what it says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 and following. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Just do some business with it. Just wrestle with that for a moment. That's a, that is a statement that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth. And His heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So most of us know the story of Noah's ark. In uh, Genesis 6 and 7 and 8, you'll hear quite a bit of detail, quite a bit of uh, pieces from the, from the account. After the flood is over, and we're going to talk about the flood, we're not going to skip all of that, right? But after it is over, the covenant with Noah from God reads this way in Genesis 9, reading in verse 8 and following. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. And here it is, very simple. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So may God give us lots of grace as we wrestle with his word here today. So the question that comes up as I'm preparing this message is, how do you preach this? We all know the story of Noah's Ark, but the reality is it's a story of really deep contrast in terms of the way we experience it. Noah's Ark epitomizes the judgment of God on a sin-infested world, and yet we use it as sort of a fun children's story. It was a floating zoo. You know, we have, if you, if you uh, Google uh, Noah's Ark, you get images like this one that we would put on the screen for you. And I will simply say, 
I guarantee you, I don't know all of the aspects. I got 100 questions about Noah's Ark that I don't know all of the answers to. I'm certain that you probably have as many as well. I am pretty sure, no, I'm 100% sure this was not the image that you would have gotten in the actual account of Noah's Ark. And yet, as one of our friends said, we use this story of God's judgment as a nursery motif for our children and babies. It's weird. Part of it is kind of where we look in the story, and as one commentator said, when we look above the line, we see the mercy and the grace and the happy story of what God has done. And when we look under the waterline, we see the judgment and the wrath and things that are very hard for us to do business with. So it's a curious contrast. How do you preach this? Uh, Noah's Ark is often preached through the lens of the scientific validity with questions focused on things like, let's try to figure out what is the actual scope of this event. You know, if the text says the whole earth, we're talking about the whole earth. And then many in the science community say, how is that physically even possible? Uh, they talk about capacity of the ark. How, how would we house enough animals to do it? Like all of these kind of very valid questions. And, and then for the skeptic, just to show you, this, the stakes really are pretty high with this because for the skeptic, Noah's ark is sort of given as a lightning rod of evidence that obviously the Bible is just full of fairy tales and really shouldn't be trusted from one cover to the other. And then in the Christian community, we say, well, wait, if that's true, can we really trust God and his word. And so there's a weightiness to this. Is God good? Is the Bible true? So we can appreciate that. Uh, as we said with the creation account, uh, there are a lot of opinions. We could get stuck in a lot of different weeds. I'm going to choose not to do that and simply say that there's probably a lot of opinions, a lot of thoughts that are going to be really well spent over coffee and dinner and conversations and various things. I have had quite a few good conversations with people around the various things that we have preached on thus far. But here is something that we certainly can know in reading the story of the Great Flood. The Great Flood from Genesis is an historical event and therefore, we cannot recreate it. Thus, there are some questions for which we simply do not have the answers. And this is actually true for much of the Bible. We would also note that it represents one of the many supernatural acts of God recorded in the Bible. So, what we would say is there is strong evidence even extra-biblically to note that something has happened. Something of cataclysmic scope. The fact that this shows up in 128 different cultural stories would tell us like something happened at some point. Of that we can have some level of confidence. But what do we actually do with it? From the Christian perspective, we believe not only that something happened, but that it is something that awakens us to the reality of the wrath and mercy of God. Now, I was talking to somebody a while ago who said to me, um, my answer for Old Testament stories that I don't know what to do with is I sort of compartmentalize them. I, they don't destroy my faith. I just don't really know what to do with them. So I just sort of put them over here and I say, well, maybe that's just something we don't have to worry about. And I would suggest that there are probably some stories that that's okay. I'm not sure this is one of them. And that is because it is referenced again by Jude. It is referenced again by Peter. It's referenced by Jesus saying that as it was in the days of Noah, 
so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man that there will be people going about life and marriage and doing all of their things not realizing that the judgment of God is at hand. And so I think any time that Jesus is like, this is actually an important story to hold on to, I don't compartmentalize it. I may not be able to fully explain it or fully understand all of the aspects, but I can say this, something has happened. It helps me understand what is happening in the wrath and the nature and the mercy of God. And Jesus was saying, you need to be prepared you need to be prepared. Today, what I'd like to do, um, after <laughs> sifting through a mountain of ideas and topics and points and messages and commentaries and articles and everything and saying, <laughs> once again, finding myself going like, Lord, I have no idea how to, how to preach this. What I'd like to do is bring us through simply three areas that were true in the days of Noah and that are true today that are all outside of your control. That's why I'd like to start the way we started and navigate this story together. Three areas that are outside of your control and why it's actually a good thing that they are. So that's where we're going to sort of go today. The first one is easy. I didn't get any shaking of heads. I got no disagreements. I don't think I'll get any nasty emails over the first point, and that is this. As it was in the day of Noah, so it is today, the natural world is out of your control. True? It says in Genesis 7, it was in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, it's a very specific thing, that, that day, all of the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and the rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The natural world in the days of Noah, and the natural world today is out of your control. Simple question. Uh, somebody yelled out. We don't have a lot of yell outs. We're not a real yell out church. But somebody in the first service yelled out like, yeah, it's like trying to stop a hurricane. And so then I said, yeah, it is like that. Let me read the next line of my notes. How do you stop a hurricane? I was like, that's good. They sort of brought him back for this service. How do you stop an earthquake? How do we fix droughts and fires, floods and storms? I mean, we make efforts on all of these things, but a lot of it is efforts on the cleanup side because we can't really prevent these things from happening. Why? Because the natural world is out of your control. In our lifetimes, our ability to predict things like the weather has actually increased dramatically, but we still can't control it. You know, we still deal, like our headlines even right now are all about sort of cataclysmic things that are outside the scope of our control. Now, what they do do oftentimes is it allows that this, this thing in humanity to emerge that we realize, I think this is a part of the, the God nature in us as well, that when people are struggling or suffering, it maybe is a reality check of our need. And the other thing that it oftentimes does, in fact, the through line for all of these things, is that it absolutely has to keep us humble, which is sort of an interesting place for us to be, an interesting juxtaposition with all of our technological sort of wherewithal, all of our advancements, all of our things, that we still have to come to the place of saying, we can't control this. It's a, it's a call to humility and it's actually one of three places where I'm going to say it's a call to humility and it's very good for us. The costliest storm in U.S. history, does anybody know what it is? Let me take a stab. 
It's got a hurricane name. Katrina was the costliest. uh, $186.3 billion. Like, it's out of our control. The best we can do is to try to rebuild. The thing that I would also just note, again, I haven't had anybody say, no, I think the natural world is totally in our control, but we understand this. This is an easy one to understand. Uh, The great flood of Noah's day was a specific judgment of God sent to cleanse a a sin-filled world. It's an interesting juxtaposition from the beginning from a couple of weeks ago because it's essentially a return to the tohu vavohu that we talked about. Did anybody use that? I was hoping somebody would use that. Say, yeah, my kid's room. This is total tohu vavohu. You still have time. Uh, just, I want to see if we can get that to, to come into regular. Tohu vavohu, which means uh, it's, a, it's a wild and waste. It's inhospitable. And that God spoke into the inhospitable to make the created world, but after the fall and the brokenness and and generation upon generation upon generation to the point that God said, it's so broken at this point that I'm going to wipe it clean and I'm going to send it back to the tohu vavohu. It's, It's tough. It's hard to process. I think one thing that is helpful for us, though, is to just note that not every natural disaster is the judgment of God. Sometimes I hear people talking about like, oh, I wonder what that city did. You know, I wonder, oh, well, all of the Floridians clearly, you know, needed correction from God and that's why, whatever. You know, to me, uh, it's just an evidence of our, our tendency to get prideful over things we have no control over still. And yet, because it didn't happen to us, we assume, oh, well, we must be sort of special in some way. So we've got to look at our own hearts. And, and that's actually the second one that we're going to go to. So the natural world is out of your control, but it does keep us humble to understand that. The second one, as was in the days of Noah, it is also true today. The human heart is out of your control. Now, some of you are going to chew on that, and maybe now you're ready to push back. Now you're ready to send an email. You say, wow, wait a minute. But I've got, I've got disciplines in my life. Uh, I'm not the same person that I used to be. I, I feel like I'm getting a handle on some things. And friends, let me just simply say to you, that is the grace and mercy of God. And it's a beautiful thing that your life may be tending toward a trajectory of becoming more Christ-like. But please understand, that is a miracle of God's grace. Not a product of your best efforts. So the human heart is out of your control. Genesis 6 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is a, this is a, a gripping and powerful sort of verse to get our minds around. Now there's also another piece of this that I think is important for us to note. Uh, People were living a lot longer in those days. They were living a lot of years. Noah was 600 years old. That's another scientific question I have that I'm like, I'm not quite sure how that happened, but if I'm just gonna take it at face value, Noah was 600 years old uh, when he uh, had his adventure with the ark. Now you might also note there's a passage that people misquote a lot of times where they say where God says and the span of a person's life is going to be 120 years 
And then people say, oh, well, that's why people nowadays only live more or less as long as they live. And if they really get up there, they might live past 100 or even beyond that a little bit. But they're not going to live to 120 or beyond that. Um, And that's probably a misreading. I think a lot of accurate commentators have said that the span of people's lives being 120 years was actually stated 120 years before the flood. You know, so there was essentially a deadline and an extended period of time of God saying, you know, I'm waiting for people to understand the need that they have in their heart, but they kept going from bad to worse. Why is that? Because the tendency of the human heart moves toward greed. It moves toward selfishness. It moves toward all the wrong and ungodly things, and that's as much true in my heart and yours as it was in the days of Noah. It's as much true when the prophet Jeremiah said this. He said, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. And that's a statement, right? Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds Deserve. So do you understand how when we talked about Old Covenant and New Covenant, the New Covenant piece is so special because God actually says, I'm going to write my law on their hearts. I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to take out that heart of stone. I'm going to give them a heart of flesh. So this was a substantial aspect for us in, ter- in terms of what the, the uh, prophet Jeremiah is lamenting. And this is a precursor for what Paul writes to the Romans where he says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress truth by their wickedness. It's not just that they're wicked, but they suppress the truth of God with their wickedness. Since what is known about God may be known about God is made plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world's invis- God's invisible qualities, His eternal powers and divine nature, they've been clearly seen, being understood from what is made so that people are without excuse. And then listen to what Paul diagnose- diagnoses as the root of the issue. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God or gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened and this was not this was not novel to the time of the romans and it was not novel to the time of the prophet jeremiah it goes all the way back to the flood it goes all the way back to the fall that the human heart is moving in the wrong direction now here's a here's a challenge that i think we've got to do some business with ask god for some some holy spirit help on how do you embrace that without just simply weaponizing it because part of the issue of, like, we want to be on mission in our world, right? So if our posture is now to simply say we're going to find everything wrong with everybody's heart and, and sort of weaponize it, we don't, we don't have the heart of Christ and the heart of compassion to reach our world. So I just think that's a question. God, how do you help me embrace that, my own fallenness, without weapon, weaponizing it for others? Now, there's another little um, thought, thought uh, experiment I'd like you to do. I mentioned that people are, are living along lifespans. Um, I want you to think about this. Think about the trajectory of your life. Some of you have been living, walking with Jesus for five years, 10 years, 20 years. Some of you 50 years. Some of you more than that or whatever. And, and it's interesting to me that it's taken you this long to even get where you are, right? So we're not, that just shows me that I'm not naturally moving. My heart doesn't naturally move toward godliness and goodness. It takes discipline. It takes effort. Now, praise God, you can look back and you can see the work of God over time. So the question of the thought experiment is this. 
Imagine the trajectory of your life extended another 500 years. And now remove the possibility of redemption and restoration of Christ. And what does that look like? So we, we start to see this kind of picture unfold maybe a little bit better. Uh, that came out of one of our staff discussions, and I was like, that's a very interesting thought. What would the trajectory of my life look like extended another 500 years? And so it, it even makes me say, well, is Genesis chapter 6, is that like a special case? And I would say, Maybe. Not special in the fact that people's hearts were bad then and they're good now, but simply that they had more time to devolve into what does it mean to see the great wickedness of the human race and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. So we just got to wrestle with that. That's an interesting thing to do business with. But the human heart is out of your control. If we could fix ourselves, we probably would. But the fact of the matter is we need a miracle to get to the place of seeing a heart that is restored. Now I'm going to give you just a little bit of good news. In this very room, we have experienced that miracle. You know, that, that some of us, we realize like, my heart didn't just fix itself. I didn't just decide to become good. But God actually is doing something in me so that I'm becoming more Christ-like as I grow in Him. So that should give us a little bit of encouragement, even though the fact still remains the human heart is out of your control. If we could fix ourselves, we would have done it by now. Now here's the last one that I want to just touch on. The will of God is out of your control. And that also serves to make us humble. The question it sort of comes down to this. When you're studying a passage like this that is really hard to grapple with, and you look at God, and now you've got to ask the question, but is he really good? Is he really just? Is that the highest level of goodness and justice? Did he miss something along the way? We kind of run into this moral dilemma, and yet even that is sort of interesting because we find ourselves playing Monday morning quarterback just on a cosmic level. If I had done it, what? <laughs> I would do it differently. I wouldn't leave room for these things that I find distasteful or hard or difficult or whatever. Like, so I, I wrestle at the level of my own understanding with a God who is beyond my understanding. And the challenge with this is that I may be able to whittle God down to the size of my understanding, but then I've got a God made in my image instead of who he really is, which is vastly more than I can fully comprehend. And so I gotta do business with this, this idea of the will of God. I notice that he doesn't apologize he doesn't take a poll to see if we're all in favor or not in favor he does what he deems to be best and this is in some ways is deeply offensive to my old nature will right because part of following God and part of following Jesus is that we've got to wrestle with the things that we don't understand or maybe we say, I don't know if I like that aspect. In fact, this is not a new thing either. In the time of Christ, the disciples started leaving. His followers started leaving him when he talked about communion. You know, eat my body and drink my blood. And people were like, we don't know what to do this. And they start leaving. And Jesus says to, to Peter, are you gonna leave me too? And do you remember his response? He says, and it's interesting because he doesn't just say no. He doesn't say yes, but he says this. Where would we go because you alone have the words of life. So you see, there's this under 
girding of a trust statement that says, I don't actually understand all that you do or why you do it, and I actually don't try to make it my business to figure you out entirely, but I am convinced that going after you is the right thing, so I'm going to keep doing that even when I don't understand. Do you remember the, uh, another Old Testament example, but you remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I love this. I love the, the heart of this. You know, you need to bow to this idol, and they say, we're not going to bow. You need to bow to this idol. We're not going to bow. We're going to throw you in a fiery furnace if you don't bow to the idol. And they say, we're not going to bow, and our God is going to deliver us. And then you remember what they say after that? And even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still not going to bow to your idol. Which is a really fascinating posture. It's a posture that basically says, I am going to trust God if it kills me. I'm going to trust God if it costs me. I'm going to trust God when I understand him, and I'm going to trust him when I don't. And that's a really hard place to be. I don't know how we're all doing with that, if I can be honest. Because it does seem lacking in our experience today to see people that would just say, you know what, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to step out in faith, and even if it costs me, and even though it doesn't all work out with a happy ending that I was really hoping for, I'm going to believe that he's in it. That's hard. That's heart stuff. It's hard stuff. Will you wrestle with the hard things of Jesus? And will you agree that the will of God is out of your control? C.S. Lewis said it this way. He said, there's only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Now think about this. This was the picture of Genesis 6. This was the epitome of everybody doing the best that they could. And it wasn't pretty. We see it again. We see it all throughout Scripture. This is the end of Judges. Do you remember that Judges, it says again and again, and Israel had no king, and everybody did in his heart what they seemed best to him. And it was a disaster. So there's something about being able to say, God, your will be done. Um, yeah. That's a Christ-like way to be, by the way, too. <laughs> right? I mean, that's what Jesus said. That not my will, but your will be done. So he modeled that for us. Here's what I would, I would encourage you to maybe consider, especially if you're wrestling with this. I'm wrestling with it, if you're wrestling with it with me. Um, what if the broken trajectory of the human condition is actually leading to a place that you don't want to go? So in other words, the, the idea that if we had, we had left ourselves to our own devices and God hadn't intervened and wiped things clean, we would perhaps arrived at a better place. But if that's not the case, and the world doesn't seem to be naturally getting better, so even from a non-faith perspective, we might even look at that and say, we don't seem to be going in the right direction. So what if that might be true? And what if that seems to be the case? What if God has already made a way for your care in the midst of that? So like we, we look under the water line at the story of Noah's Ark and we see justice and we see wrath we see hard things but if we just look there we miss out on the mercy and the salvation of God on the top of the water if we only look at the beginning we miss out on uh, on the top we miss out on what he's doing in the bottom what if God has already made a way for your care what if there's a fundamental shift in my walk with God that comes when I learn to say not my will but your will be done like that's challenging 
But I think that's the real deal. And when I begin to understand that I am not the innocent bystander, you know, at the mercy of an unjust but all-powerful God, but rather I'm a defier of God, and yet in spite of my sin, that he has made a way for my forgiveness. Then I actually sing the songs like we love to sing the song there on the cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was, say it, satisfied. We sing the old hymn, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. And I remember hearing that song being sung. I remember where it was, a little church, and these people, they got to that that, that, it's the third verse in that hymn. They got to that third verse and they started like, like spontaneously applauding. It wasn't like clap along to the music. It was like they were excited to sing. My sin, oh the joy of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord of my soul. There's something fundamentally shifts when we start to understand the story a little bit better. So back to control, this is where we started. I want to just suggest to you today, the reason that humility is the through line in all of this is that you can no more control your own heart than you can control the will of God or the weather itself. So what do you do when you have stuff that is outside of your control? And I think the answer is you get prepared as much as you can. Plain and simple. I can't control what's going to happen in the economy, but I can prepare in such a way as understanding how to live with as much wisdom as God would be gracious to give me. And then we look at the the covenant with Noah is a covenant of life. I establish my covenant with you. He's not going to destroy all life again by the waters. I'm never going to flood uh, or destroy the earth again. The covenant of life, but note this, that sin was still present. Because now we got a clean start and then Noah messes it up. And we're in a garden again with another mess. I want you to simply see this as you wrestle with hard things today. Look at the justice of God poured out. In the account of Noah, one man or family was saved from the the destruction of the entire world, or at least the entire known world. In the account of Jesus, one man is destroyed in the salvation of the entire world total inversion at the time of Christ and this is the act of redemption this is the gateway for renewal that the prophet Jeremiah had not experienced yet that the time of Noah had not experienced yet but this side of the cross we are able to agree with the psalmist in saying the Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger abounding in love he will not always accuse nor will he harbor his anger forever he does not treat us as our sins deserve will repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Friends, much of life is out of your control, but God has said at this first promise, I'm going to give you life. And then Jesus comes along and he says, and I'm going to give you life and give it to the full This thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they would have life and life to the full, John 10.10. So, worship team is gonna lead us. I'm gonna ask you just to process this question. Have you come to a place in your journey where you can say, not my will, but yours be done? 
I think in a lot of ways, that's a, yeah, a God that we maybe not, I, I may not fully understand. I'm, I just preached it. I may not fully understand it all. I'm grappling with it. I'm in the tension of it. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to see, but God, not my will, but yours be done. I'm dealing with the junk in my own heart that I can't control any more than I can control the weather, but God, not my will, but yours be done. See, here's the joy. Here's the beauty is that when I say yes to Jesus, what I'm essentially saying is yes to his finished work, and I stop relying on my own track record. And that's, that is the joy that we can begin to come to. That's, Noah didn't have that. The people in Noah's day didn't have that yet. We're on this side of the cross with the finished work of Christ who's come near, who's lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, paid the perfect price, and said, I'm coming. Now, now the biggest thing I think we've got to do is we've got to get out of our way. I'm sure that there's probably some people that are here today listening online or whatever saying, I'm, I'm still not sure I'm good with a God like that. I can simply say, you're not alone, but God has done the miracle of changing a human heart before. And maybe you give him a chance with yours. So I want to just pray with you, give you a little time to respond. Team, you can lead us. Um, Jesus, I'm, I'm grateful that there's just a lot of layers to this. When we start to understand where we are with you, God, we can honestly say, as I've prayed many times, um, God, I recognize I don't, you don't owe me anything. <laughs> You've already given me so much. Your mercies are new in my life every day. And yet you invite me in. You call me into your presence. You call me to be renewed in you. And uh, Jesus, we're grateful for that. I, I also just, I'm sensing that even here, there's a, there's a stability that you desire to give us. There is a stability that comes when we're not relying on our own track record and, and Lord I just I sense even a lift to just say God we we're not doing this on our own what a place that would be for us to stand in the way of God's wrath with no way out and yet you yourself have provided a way you provided a sacrificial lamb you've given us new life in Christ so Holy Spirit I simply pray that to the extent that you want to shift a heart today you would move us today. I pray that you would help us to do that. I pray that you would strengthen us, stabilize us in the truth of who you are, what you have done. Thank you that on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God is satisfied. And we live differently because of that. So Lord, I pray that you would do the work you desire to do. Open the eyes of our hearts that we might see as you see. Lastly, I'll just simply say this. If today's the day that you're saying, I need to put my faith in Jesus Christ, I don't want to leave you without instruction. So simple. To simply say, I believe in my heart what Christ has done for me. I receive that in faith. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is my Lord. I do that business today. I receive his forgiveness. I receive his right standing today. Put those prayers in your own words as you find him. Jesus, we thank you for your promise. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.